Hello and welcome to the Wilder Podcast. My name is Laura and today's episode is going to be a really fun one. I know you'll really love the wisdom that my guest, Chrissy Green, is going to share. She is a mentor, health coach and lawyer. She works particularly with women, reconnecting them to their innate worth, wisdom and heart space. Of course, we start with Chrissy's journey. I love hearing how people have ended up where they've ended up and really her contemplations upon that journey, the things she's learned along the way, how they, how, how those things have helped Chrissy be the person that she is today. She's proud and confident and in her feminine. You know, we talk about embo- how important it is to include embodiment practices connecting back to your intuition and your gut feeling, connecting to the feminine essence, connecting to our authenticity or just standing up in our own power. And that's just the tip of the iceberg in terms of what we chatted about today. So without further ado, let's dive into my conversation with Chrissy Green. Welcome, Chrissy. It is lovely to be having this conversation with you. So, first of all, thanks very much for joining me. Thanks, Laura, for asking me to come on and speak with you today. I'm really excited. I do like to start with giving a little bit of context. If you wouldn't mind sharing your maybe your journey with us a little bit, how you ended up here, as opposed to I know you've done a law degree, like saying as a lawyer, or even the previous things you've done in the past. How have you ended up doing what you're doing in the world? Now I turned forty this year. And something about all these big birthday milestones that give us that time to reflect, right, and go, how did I get here? So I think that's a real nice place to start. I grew up in a big Māori family. I'm an Indigenous woman from Ngāpui, so from the north of New Zealand, and I grew up in our lands. The oldest of seven, I had a baby as a teenager in high school, and everybody kind of said that so much potential but your life is kind of over and I believed part of it but there was this part of me too that was like nah I I might it might not look the way that everybody else has done things but I can still get out there and do my dreams and I'd always had this dream to be a lawyer or maybe a doctor which seems really far-fetched my family are all (laughs) Handworkers, nobody's been to university. People are going to university now, which is great, but it was a real dream. And I think with the birth of my son and getting sent away to girls' home in Auckland to adopt children out really made me realise when I was in that home. And it was a beautiful place, Bethany's. I don't know if anybody, it's not around anymore. It's been built, knocked down and turned into apartments in Greyland. But at the time and through the seventies and eighties and stuff, it was like a place for unwed mothers, which was mm. a bad thing back in the day. And in this home, I'd been put up in school a couple of years. So I'd pretty much finished or was at the end of my education. And I was with girls who were in SIFS care and SIFS home. The average age was like 15. We had children as young as 12 who were pregnant having babies. And it made me realize that, yeah, okay, my life is tough. You're in a bad situation, but you've got a bit of an education. You do have family support. This might not be how you've envisioned 
your life and visit and shit, but you can make this right. And I stopped feeling sorry for myself from then. I thought I need to do this for my son. And I started working and I saw that there was all these people that had, they didn't have necessarily, they weren't brainier than me or brighter than me, which is a big thing to but they had degrees and degrees gave them the keys to spaces that I couldn't access. And so I'd always had this dream I needed to study. I didn't know how that would work from a small town. I'd never really even been to Auckland until I was older. And when the opportunity presented itself, in my 20s to go to university uh, doing a foundation course. So I went into a Māori program, MAPAS. So I've done degrees in health science and law. I I had to overcome myself every single step of the way to do. It took me seven years. I worked the whole time. I had a daughter at that stage too who was still breastfeeding when I started university. And I did it and all along the way I'd come from I think as all of us do in different varying packages of trauma that we carry from just being a human and living this life I had to overcome a lot of things along the way and included in that was a lot of the cultural stuff that we carry as Indigenous people in New Zealand that gets passed down that gets it's not dealt with and that we're in an age now where we can talk about things where we can get healing, where we can be sovereign over our own lives in ways that our parents and grandparents never really had the opportunity to. Mm. So I felt that any work that I needed to do wasn't just for me, it was for my son and for my And That's that idea in our culture of the papa, that things extend from beyond us, far ahead of us. And so I... I guess I just really embodied that in a really, in a blind sort of a way, blind faith, blind trust, where you just go, I'll take the next step and the next step. And bringing spirituality into that as well was really interesting because so I, growing up in a spiritual space where it was just really normalized, we cut a care, we give thanks, we do rituals, Mm. that's a part of the culture. But then aligning that with being a lawyer, you're like, hang on, these are two different ideologies, two different ways of thinking, two different things. How do I be myself in these spaces? And that's Mm. been the most recent journey kind of of the past five years of being able to be authentically me as a Māori woman, as a mother. I'm a grandmother now too. And actually making a life that fits me rather than doing what people think that I should be doing. That's the short version. <laughs> wow, Christy. What an incredible journey. I think I knew some of those things from listening to you in the past, but two degrees as a mother. And as you mentioned, I suppose I wanted to start there. You had to overcome yourself quite a lot of journey. And I suppose the emphasis is that yourself is one of the barriers. Yeah. What do you have some practices or some strategies that you used at that time particularly, or even more recently that you find helped overcome the, the barriers that you're providing yourself? Yeah, I think I was listening to a podcast yesterday and it was talking about modeling behavior. And the hardest thing we can talk about, oh, there's equal opportunity, right? Everybody has access to university in New Zealand through student loans or whatever. But if we have never seen something modeled, if we have never seen somebody work, if we have never seen somebody care for themselves in a certain way, 
go to university, get an education, pay for nice clothing even. It can be that simple. How do we know how to do that? We don't. And I had no black clue. Mm. I hadn't, there was nobody really at uni that looked like me mm. that was my age and my situation. And one of the great things of going, joining like the Māori programs there was there were other mums and that finding that identity in that space there, we could all go, oh my God, I don't belong here. Nobody looks like me. This isn't tailored for me. This is out of my comfort zone. And so I think one of the biggest things for me in that space was not thinking too far ahead I'm glad I was naive if I had have known at the outset how hard it was Laura I would not have done it and all I did was just look at the next step what's the next assignment due what's the next part that I need to attend yep I can quit after that because I seriously wanted to quit every single semester I'll quit oh this is too hard this is too much my children have my daughter had chicken I was like she didn't sleep last night oh, I've got to go and work and I've got big projects due at work and I've got all these assignments and everything's due at once. And it got to a point where it was like, look, Christina, don't overthink this. You don't have to be perfect. Let go of that idea of, oh, I've got to be an A-plus student for children that are cared for by their parents and just get to turn up to university and their mums wash their clothes and there's mm. tea when they get home and they get to go out partying. And, oh, their life is so hard and tiring. And we would hear this a lot. And I'm going, yeah, that's cool. I don't have to focus all on trying to be A+. Auckland Uni is really competitive. So there is this big emphasis on perfection and nail it. And I was like, I have advantages of being an older student. I know how to balance my time. I can learn and apply things in ways that the young kids couldn't do. So it wasn't a competition in that sense. Let go of trying to compare myself to them. Just do you in this space and... C's get degrees and essentially passes a pass and that was a lot of big behavior to to let go of wanting to be the best at everything and almost sometimes when you want to be the best that stops you from even moving so I had to really surrender a lot in that process yeah so that my thing is small steps get you somewhere you know Yeah, just looking at the little incremental, like small, I think that's, yeah, I think that's a really important sort of thing to take into all of the endeavors that we want to achieve. Obviously, mm. it worked really well for your degrees, but sometimes we have these massive lofty goals of where we want to mm. be in our career mm-hmm. or even like owning a house, all these like mm. big things that like might be quite difficult if we looked at them really high level. But if you say, okay, maybe buying a house one day means just like literally saving $10 a week or $50 a mm. month or whatever it is. Mm. So it's like those breaking things down into the kind of smallest, easiest incremental steps. Yeah, and maybe instead of wanting to buy your third-level house, starting with the first house might be a unit or an apartment and letting go of how things should look to actually what's going to be the most easeful way for me to do this all of my life and not go psychotic along the way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> not piss everyone else in my life off. Like Totally. Letting the dream change, I think. Giving yourself permission. Nothing, nothing is fixed. So you talk a lot about being authentic and being really strong as a Maori woman, as a mother now, as a grandmother, as you've mentioned. How, cause I, it's, it's just like authenticity is one of my really strong values myself. And even just that journey of trying to work out who I am and what I want oh. and who I want to show up with, I feel is really difficult because society provides us so many, so much expectations about what we should want, as you've already mentioned. 
Do you want to speak to that sort of journey of working out who you are, first of all, and then and then working out how to show up as that person every day in your work and in your life and for the people around you? Yeah, I recognize that I will be forever learning who I am. Yeah. And that doesn't stop. And I think a lot of my thinking growing up or how we were socialized was there was really quite a lot of black and white thinking, really quite a lot of fixed ideas. And that's something that I've really had to overcome as I've gotten older or to mm. just realize it just doesn't serve me. And it's not actually human. It's not real. I think for me, there was a lot. I've been reading some beautiful things lately in our magazine. It's a magazine written, comes out twice a year. Um, with articles from Māori women and the last one that I was reading there were a lot of stories in it being like a half cast being Māori and Pākehā having different parents and so for me in my formative years growing up it, it was this real thing around identity mm-hmm. and I experienced that some fair skin my dad's Māori my mum's Pākehā we grew up in a Māori area we grew up pretty connected to our culture but then it was coming to Auckland and it was really segregated and you can notice that kind of coming from the bush maybe where everybody blends in you don't really think much about it and my friends are Māori to then coming into this big city space and going oh I'm othered Mm -hmm. I need to prove my identity here do I prove it by being a hard out kapahaka star do I prove it by speaking my deal do how do I be me do I prove it by getting dreadlocks and listening to Bob Marley what where do I fit in the world and in the space and there there was a lot of reclamation I think of myself as a woman feminine energy because that part of me didn't fit anywhere it was all a lot about Maori tanga and claiming that and owning that when a lot had been taken away in our family, if that makes sense, and suffering the loss of that as experienced in the way that we were raised or different types of trauma that happened in that. So for me, we're a big family and we all claim and own our mildiness in different ways, even though we've all got the same parents. And I don't know why I'm different in that space in my family. I always have been connected to that but once I cemented my identity culturally Māori is just as I am I don't have to sing anything do anything speak anything more than what I can do I can learn I can grow it opened up the door to allow the rest of me to be visible mm-hmm. and then that from there came the wahine part, the womanhood, the gentleness, the softness. So because I had to overcome, I had really gotten fixed into masculine energy of to-do lists, achievements, hardness. You just got to go. You can't quit and stop. And so there was a lot of unlearning that up to be spacious. It was safe to be my whole self, which is a woman. And that culminated quite a few years ago in receiving my mokokowai, which is the chin tattoo in my culture, the first one in my family to have done that for many generations and was done by beautiful Uhi artist Moko Smith out in Auckland and his sister Kahu stretched and it was a beautiful day because all my family with the women and my family came and it was, I describe it like a wedding to myself and that was the point where I was like, I'm me, I own me, 
I'm not getting this koai because I've achieved anything or because I'd thought, oh, I'll do it when I get admitted to the bar or do this. And I was like, no, I am enough. And so then going into a legal space, there's nobody that looks like me. I see old white men and I'm copying them on how to be a lawyer in that mm. space and it doesn't fit. And I, I can't pull it off. I'm not old, white, rich, privileged. It just doesn't work. And a lot of it was shuffling around on my own, trying things, failing Risking, finding great teachers along the way. Laura Allen's really helped with the somatic work. I did therapy for my mind and trauma stuff. Breathworks really helped. Movement, CrossFit was a great one for me and just reclaiming parts of my body back after sexual trauma. I think being authentic, but again, that black and white thinking, it's not, there is no point. There isn't a point we arrive where we're like, oh, we're authentic. We just are. What might have fitted yesterday? doesn't might not fit today mm-hmm. and that's okay doesn't mean mm-hmm. that you were fake and then all it's just allowing yourself to be seen to speak to be heard what does being seen and heard look like for me in that space I dress beautifully I I wear lipstick I wear my Maori taonga or I wear big huge hoop earrings to court I do me in that space because I feel like then where other young women or Māori people in the court space or in my coaching space, I coach as well, that gives them permission to just be exactly whoever they are in any environment. And so that encourages me, I think, probably as older sister to a lot. I feel like I have a responsibility to just always be a leader in that space, be brave, wear the clothes. I'm juicy, plus-size woman. Wear the shorts. Mm. Wear the bikini to the beach. Mm do those things and it has been a 20 year journey to get to this place but I tell you when you can rest there there is freedom because you don't care what other people think so much it matters how you feel and that's agency that to me that is sovereignty over your life and over your body and mind yeah wow beautiful words Chrissy. thank you I yeah, I think the ritual of the Maku Kawai is like pretty mm. incredible. Like, as you say, just that sort of releasing, first of all, your expectations that it had to be for a specific reason. Like, you obviously just reached a particular spot in your journey and then were like, mm. I am deserving of this and I want to share mm. this with the woman in my family and I want to mm. take this ritual and move through it and make it part of your journey. It's incredible. Yeah, it felt really powerful. And scary. My family members, some of them were worried for me. How will you get a job? You'll have a tattoo on your face. And for my family too, there had been points in our history where it was related to gangs and the anti-social side of society and the, the revolutionary part. And it was like, how do we fit um, a professional woman and, a, and an esteemed profession to be in that space, be me, be my moko, carry a to and yeah turn up but I just I couldn't think again it was like I couldn't think about how that might happen if I had a worried on all the what have could have should have so I, I wouldn't have done it and to be honest I have always received positive and nourishing comments smiles and I'm really glad that I trusted my gut <clears throat> I trusted my tupuna who led me to that space and I knew it would be okay and it has been and um, yeah, it was a really liberating, beautiful experience. Cool, cool. Mm. And the other thing I was going to pull out of your words earlier were reclaiming back your feminine, particularly in this masculine-led world. 
And I suppose one of the things I wanted to mention, you said there's no kind of point you arrive and suddenly you're authentic every day, of every moment of every day. And because I think that's one of the things about the feminine is, is it's always in flow and it's always changing, whereas the masculine is the stable sort of stable part of the kind of balance. And I'd just interested to hear you talk a little bit on reclaiming your feminine and maybe some of the practices or just the journey that you've had with that. Yes, I think when you come from hardship and a lot of women in my coaching space that I work with, we have in common survivorship, you know, this real hard spaces that we've turned ourselves into rocks almost to overcome. And then we get to this point where we've achieved all the things and it looks mm. beautiful on paper, but mm. we are empty. Why aren't I satisfied? Mm. On paper, I look great. I've got this. I've done that. I own this. I've, the list goes on. And what I recognize in my own life and what I now share or teach coach on is actually us we weren't there we're not there and so the reclamation of the feminine has been a real important piece of my magic puzzle and that was a large part through actually Laura Allen's work because it's energetic but body-based so it actually was tangible it's there can be some things that are airy-fairy that we go, oh, how does this look for me? I've, I'm a to-do list person and I can't just be mucking around <laughs> all this stuff. What does being a woman look like and feel like for me? I'm not Laura Allen. I don't, I work, I've got, I'm not saying that she doesn't, but I work in this, in this professional space. I can't do that. You're not supposed to be her. You're supposed mm. to be you in that space. Mm. How do you nourish yourself? What is it that the feminine actually wants? How do you allow your creativity to be expressed? What is the gentle ease of which you live your life? A big thing for me was overscheduling. I did her queendom program a couple of years ago and the spaciousness is such a big lesson. She was like, feminine energy is the flowy thing it's not here performs next next and I would wonder why I would continuously get burnt and she taught to prioritize space create space a nothingness not to be filled with phones and stuff but to be filled with nourishing reading for me I love to read or I love to write or go walking and allowing that part of me to brew and to feel safe mix that with some somatic body work to release a lot of the trauma held in my body, experiencing that everything happens to us. Yes, we can get therapy for the mind, which is really great to help us understand certain things, but we are primarily human. That means that there's a whole body there that's experienced things too. And learning tools such as the nervous system, understanding about my nervous system, cultivating safety. I'd always thought safety was something other people did for me. Mm. I didn't know until a few years ago that it was something that I did for myself. Mm. And that process of listening, trusting, the intuitive aspect, I think a big part of my healing, if there's, if, you know, anybody's listening and doesn't know where to start, figure out about regulating your nervous system, listening to her, understanding when you're safe or not coming from traumatic spaces. Sometimes we get used to being perpetually unregulated. And that affects so many other hormones in that as well. And so for me, being feminine is expressed in the way I say no 
that's expressed in my boundaries, who I give access to, my time, what I choose to invest in. It will be being more in line with my monthly cycle, for example, and knowing that there'll be periods of the month where I am highly energetic and can push out the mahi, but also then giving myself permission at the later half of the month to rest if I need to and not beat myself up for not being productive to go actually in the scheme of things over a whole month period I'm just as productive as I am every other month it just looks different now because I'm more in tune with my body more in tune with my period I'm more in tune with my sexuality with the pleasure that I'm seeking in my life from the food that I eat to the love that I'm making with people that I love and it's whole it's a holistic view there's not one part of the muscle that is overworked and I think Bringing in the body parts for me allowed me to claim my whole womanhood as a Māori woman. I, yeah, I don't know. What do you think about that? Can you relate? A hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My journey is obviously very different looking to yours, but has Mm. lots of the sort of same things, like that Mm. sort of busyness and needing Mm. to fill every moment of the day in order to feel like, to feel adequate because even even weekend and social it's not even just work it was just always feeling like I had to have something in the diary otherwise it was like oh what's going on here especially Saturday night or Friday night if I'm spending Saturday or Friday night at home it was like oh, couldn't spend that space <laughs> just being even just in the last two three four years really for me I've really focused on that spaciousness and mm. and really slowing down and cultivating a whole lifestyle that allows me to live a very slow life so I completely agree that yeah especially for feminine energy people we do just need more space and more time that's just how we tend to operate best whereas mm. you may be successful pushing for a certain amount of time but that mm. sort of point of burnout does come yeah. and so from my point of view I'm a nutritionist or sort of a health practitioner I usually get the woman once they've hit that burnout <laughs> and they want to have a baby or they can't yeah. get up in the morning they have no energy so I definitely see it from a health perspective but yeah really I really think the sort of the energetics of it are really important now as well mm. no, totally makes sense I think another aspect in there too that's really important was the fun the play mm. and it was something that I had never really cultivated in my life and so allowing myself to do the dancing to go and listen to the music that wasn't all serious to do or then party hardy so hard that you're wasted and knocked out I was like oh there's a happy medium here it doesn't have to be again all or nothing black or white and this fun was really hard for me to learn mm. it sounds weird now because I'm like oh I actually remember going what do you mean do fun things what does that look like I'd never really done that um, because I'd always been so responsible. So I think finding things that that make you laugh for no reason, that don't actually bring any value that we think of, um, you know, by achieving this or doing that, that actually, if you want to do that hip-hop class, just do it. Yeah, totally, 100%. We leave the fun in childhood usually, and for some people not even that. They've got a a hard situation, but yeah, yeah, I think that is really important. (laughs) Balance. I've heard you talk about even today you've mentioned like trusting the feeling even having blind faith in where you're going and also I know that you use your tupuna or your ancestors mm-hmm. to guide you as well I wonder if you speak to that a little bit and let us know how you've because we haven't been taught to follow the 
body in terms of trusting mm. the gut rather than trusting the analytical mind. How have you learned to trust the gut more? And then how have your guidance from your tupuna come in, really? I think so for me growing up, it was a real common, it was just how we talked, oh, you know, listen, that you're in the bush and there's a lizard come through or you're doing these things and it's, oh, your ancestors are here with us or talking to us. And so that wasn't, it was pretty normalized. And I don't know it's any other kind of way. But what I know was when I got older and you wanted to be more like everybody else, they're like, well, your park, your mates couldn't talk like that. You can't. I found myself cutting off a lot of these parts of myself and also even the Christianity impacted family a lot and totes believe in up to our belief in God, but maybe religion has impacted my family in hard ways. And there were parts where it would be like, actually, you can't talk like this or be like that because other God. And that was really hard because I'm like, oh, there's something wrong with me and I'm going to go to hell if I trust my toops and then there's this Christian God and, and so there was all this stuff and I was like, oh, right, fine, I'll never listen, I won't, I'll cut this part of me off. And there was a big reclamation spiritually and going, actually, this is who I am. Ancestors are there. I can see you do get gifted visions or knowing or knowledge or wisdom in different ways in that space. And it doesn't mean that I'm a heathen going to hell. It just means that I'm a Māori woman who chooses to pick up and listen to that stuff for the service of her community and family. And so once, again, that thing of getting to know myself better, I was more able to hear what was being said, to discern that safety has been a big thing to learn. And what I mean is we can't just go around saying things willy-nilly to people that maybe don't want to hear it. So it was understanding my responsibility to go, my tupuna here to speak for me, for my benefit, and I'll know when there's things that need to be done in my family for my whānau benefit. But I'm not going to walk around and go, hey, you, there's a dead person next to you. Or you do with some things or... And I don't, I feel like that's really important to say because there is, there is a responsibility with spiritual gifting or with having that role within a fano of the voice or the seer or it's not just for you in that sense. It's for the community, for the, the collective. And that's maybe a point of difference, Māori culture from others. And yeah, so. Actually being able to stand in that power with strengths has, you know, colonization meant that there weren't necessarily teachers in my whānau left to do that. They were really impacted by Christianity mm. and reclaiming that part gently and slowly and softly really just meant tuning in and listening. I will use my own set. It's been given to me in this mm-hmm. vessel with this set of knowledge for this reason. I don't have to pretend there's anything outside of myself that I need. Go in with humility, with mm-hmm. ethics, and cultivate safety in this part of your life too. And so that was that process. Listen to Tupuna means that I know when I need to know, when I've got to move, when I've got to do things. It doesn't mean I know what will happen. It doesn't mean that I know an outcome. Or I get the nudging of intuitively take the step, buy the house, do the job, say yes, and and that's where the magic happens. I was reflecting even last night, decisions that I'd said yes to a year and a half ago were big, big things. I'm so grateful that I have today because I am where I am because 
of that trust and that faith and listening. So there is a real space in our lives for this part of us and it can look different and it does look different for for everybody. Thank you. So you mentioned your earlier, if somebody really was looking kind of first step, you would recommend that sort of creating space, prioritizing in terms of maybe a second step around embodiment or body work. What's your sort of favorite practice or where do you recommend people start with that? Yeah. So I think when we have our food and our kai and our homes sorted as we, when we get to that space where we have capacity to go, oh, actually my life wasn't where I want it to be. I always think that holistic view of health, which is relationship, you know, we all know that model. So we have our relationships, our mind, our spirit, and our body. And I think it really is as simple as what are you eating? How much are you sleeping? How are the quality of the connections that you've got in your life? And what are you doing for your spirit, for the magical part of you, the feminine, the masculine, whatever that is? And I think it can be as simple as creating a routine of getting up early in the morning, lighting an incense, going for a walk, listening to a podcast, having a beautiful breakfast, making sure you're sleeping. We can start from that space. And then from there, that doesn't cost anything. And from there going, actually, on my walk, I'll allow space for the growth or listening to audiobooks or podcasts. And so we're nourishing ourselves. And I'm thinking particularly from busy busy mum or they've got a lot on that may maybe cultivating space for themselves is a is a big ask and so we're like okay what would be realistic and achievable and doable and if we're living in cities and all turned man the traffic's nuts you begin up at 4am so you can have some time to yourself that's not feasible we need enough sleep and so it's like in that space thinking about how to bring balance to all of that is saying what do i need and listening when an answer comes, maybe you hear it on the radio and it's a song and then it strikes a chord and, oh, actually I need to deal with these relationships that I have with my parents. Mm. Actually, my food is totally processed and I haven't eaten anything with nutrition in it for maybe four weeks and I haven't pooed for five days. So I'm up all night because I'm so wired on Red Bulls and I'm not sleeping. And this is all the stuff into it. It's all healthy and in flow. You can't, how do you can't give yourself to anything else? It's just like sticking plaster over a broken leg. Mm. And so I think really that holistic view of doing a grid to go, what does it look like is a really good place to start. And then you can choose. Then I can say, actually, the first thing I need to deal with is my trauma. I need therapy. Mm. I'm going to do commit to 10 weeks or mm. go through ACCs and claims or I'm going to do whatever that is. Or actually, my body really hurts. I've got allergies and I'm not feeding myself properly. I'm actually going to invest in testing and learning all about this new way of eating that I have to learn because I'm a celiac actually. Or, you know, or actually I'm in a marriage that's really um, unconnected and unhappy and we haven't had sex for four years. Actually, that's a priority to me because having a safe family matters. So I'm going to invest my time and energy into figuring myself out in this space to cultivate a relationship again. Mm. And I think when we slow down and even are in the mindset of what is it that I need here, there's usually space for an answer to yeah. to appear. For me, it was doing the therapy and then CrossFit. It sounds really weird, but it was actually the physical, fun community part that I really needed at the time in my life. 
Cool. And then from there, it was, yeah, learning about food and finding joy and finding recipes and cooking things. Really mm. simple, but mm. I've done that before. Cool. Incredible. Those are really nice practical things. And yeah, I think that that's, yeah, the perspective you come from with the fact that you have journeyed through like massive periods of juggling so many different things at once. It is about just maybe picking that one thing that you think is the most important thing to maybe spend some time even just thinking about, first of all, mm. before you even take any action on it, rather than trying to overwhelm and be like, oh, everything needs to change right now. Like, that's hectic and that's overwhelming. So Yeah, so human. Yeah, exactly. Do it all. And that kind of fits in with the black or the white, the all or the nothing sort of mindset. It's just, gosh, eating greens once this week is better than eating no greens at all, whatever it is. Awesome, Chrissy. Thank you so much for your incredible wisdom today and thanks for sharing your journey. I'll pop all the sort of links to your website and I know you're on Instagram a bit. Is there anything else that you'd like to direct people to or anything else you'd like to finish and mention here? Yeah, I think just thank you for having space with me this morning. It's really nice to share things from a different perspective and I know to anybody who is at a space where it's like, what am I doing? What's wrong? Why don't I feel satisfied? There's nothing wrong with you. We all experience that. It's just the difference will be what you do next. So my thing is better on yourself. Other people might not have your back, but you can. And that's where it all starts. Thank you so much. Thank you, Laura. Thank you so much for listening all the way to the end. I really, really appreciate your time and I hope you've got something out of this episode. I would love to hear what you got out of it, what you thought of the episode. Send me a message on Instagram at wilder, wild with an R on end, underscore wellness. And yeah, let me know what you thought. All the relevant links will be in the show notes. So feel free to check out all of those things that we mentioned in today's episode. And as always, a reminder to be gentle on yourself, take things slow. Um, I think that there is no way that you can hear that too many times. So take this as your little reminder today. And I'll see you next time for the next episode on the Wilder Podcast.